Congregation, I'd like to consider with you the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, and it is the 16th chapter. The main text for me is the verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. So far. Congregation, there are four sections in this chapter. The verses 1 through 4 is is about the recommendation to have collections for Jerusalem. The verses 5 through 9, Paul shares his thoughts on what his schedule is like, that he's traveling to, that he hopes to spend his time. In the verses 10 through 20, Paul speaks highly of a number of fellow Christians, mainly office bearers. And in the verses 21 through 24, Paul finishes with some bold statements and greetings. Let me simplify this. The theme ending with love. Ending with love. He's ending this chapter with love. Collections in love. A schedule made in love, recommendations in love, and special greetings in love. So the first thought, collections in love. Congregation just had a collection. I saw the deacons going through the church and with the bags, and I saw many hands. There's something in there. So there's money in those bags over there. Is it even proper to do that on Sunday? Is it not dirty money? Is it not something we should do on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday? Instead of having money in church, as if people have to pay for it, and if people have to acquire something? You know, actually money is holy. And then someone puts his hand in that bag. It's actually a holy action. That is a spiritual thing. And someone says, Lord, I thank thee for thy mercy. And I also would like to donate something. That is a holy thing. That is very spiritual. It is not worthy. It is not dirty. In the Bible, that collection is often, or rather sometimes, I would say, sometimes called a sacrifice. The sacrifices are holy, aren't they? Sacrifices in the courtyard, sacrifices in the tabernacle on the altar of incense, the smoke going up to the Lord as a well-pleasing fragrance, Pleasing the Lord, something acceptable to the Lord, that's a sacrifice. And we know also in the New Testament that that the the sacrifices of praise. We sing praises, there's also a sacrifice. Let me show also from the Bible that collections are holy. The collections are spiritual. The collections are sacrifices. The collections are things it should be done in love and in faith. 
Philippians 4, verse 18, but I have all. Paul said, I have all. And abound. I'm full. Have received of Epaphroditus the things which are sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So the Apostle Paul says, thank you for the collections, for the donations that's acceptable and well-pleasing to God. It's a sweet smell. The Lord loves it. The Lord likes it. See that? Have you expected that? Do we ever, are we ever, ever conscious if we put something in the bag? That is something holy, something spiritual, something in thankfulness, a sacrifice, sweet odor, well-pleasing, Or think of Hebrews 13. But to do good and to communicate, to share, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. If someone donates in thankfulness, in appreciation, that's a sweet odor, that's a sacrifice, well pleasing. Not just pleasing, well pleasing to God. It's really important to him. It's not just something administrative. So what do we read in the first verses of our last chapter? Now concerning the collection for the saints, the collection for the saints, for God's people as well, and sometimes collection for the poor, now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Have collections, please. Have collections for the saints. Have collections for the congregation of Jerusalem. That's what it says. Because the congregation in Jerusalem was poor. They don't know why. Is the famine, maybe? Were they discriminated and persecuted? We don't know. But what we know is that from Jerusalem, the gospel went to minor Asia, to Galatia, all those provinces. And those congregations were rich and Jerusalem was poor. So therefore, he was asking for collections, and he said, do that on the first day of the week. On Sunday. Upon the first day of the week, let everyone of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So don't wait to wait the collections. Don't do that within a month or two or so. Do it on a regular basis. Do it every week. Why don't you do it on Sunday? You're in church anyway. It's a holy thing. So on the first day of the week, the week of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, maybe you're in church, let, let, let it be gatherings, and do it on a regular basis, that it is not too much at once, 
but it is divided over the year, divided over the, over the month, over the weeks. What a wisdom. As God has prospered him according to his ability, according to the riches the Lord has provided, so that the poor ones give their percentage and the rich ones give maybe a higher percentage according to their ability, according to how they have prospered, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. See, to Jerusalem. So there might be a delegation of people bringing the money. And the Apostle Paul says, I am willing to participate. I am willing to also go along. So we see that collections are holy. Let me explain that a little bit more. The Lord Jesus explained that he was so close to his people that if you do something to his people and for his people, then do something for him. So that means if you help a child of the Lord out or a member out, you're also helping, you're also, in fact, doing something to Christ, to God. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So, gathering money, having collections for the poor, is also a collection for the Lord. Because the Lord has also a people among the poor. The Lord Jesus recommended charity and also added promises to it. That's just important enough for that. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. So this is a reflection. It's an imitation. If someone is merciful and donates, it is an, an example of what Christ is doing, what God is doing. The Lord has said, be merciful as I am merciful. Be therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. So when you are considering how much to give to church and charity, think of God, of his generosity, of his mercy, of his goodness, and say, Lord, when I think of thy mercy, when I think of thy goodness, I have to be merciful myself as well. And if you know something of Christ and of that gift of the Father that makes you really generous, don't you think? If you are unconverted and there is no love for the Lord, 
There is no true faith. There is no real thankfulness. There is no real appreciation of the gift of God. They are less motivated to donate money. Or maybe you do it in a, in a different, way, different way. As if you can earn some, some salvation by it. But no, it is meant to be an expression of thankfulness. Have you heard of Tabitha in the Bible? What's her second name? Dorcas, right? Now there was in Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. <clears throat> this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. She was a rich, affluent woman, somehow, and she was known to be um, very caring, and she was full of good works, doing good things for others, unselfish, and she did alms deeds for others. We need those people. Collections for the poor, and especially collections for the poor among God's people and the church. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we may have had times that we are close to the Lord. Maybe you had better times than before. Maybe you had, maybe you have attended the Lord's Supper in the past. Maybe you, you, you were just so deeply impressed with God's gift. And in and, and, and those, 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 those days, those, those months, that you were so close to the Lord, you also were less connected to your money and more willing to donate. And now when spiritual life goes down and in times of darkness, then it is less desire to give. And therefore the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Don't be weary in well-doing. Keep, keep, do, keep doing the right thing. Finally, think also of this. Jerusalem is the mother church. They send missionaries to Minor Asia and they receive money from them. Right? How would they feel today? If we send evangelists and missionaries to Bolivia, and suppose Bolivia would be way richer than, than Canada. And they would donate money to us. So we send ministers there, and they send money back. That's how it was. So we have often the feeling, right, that mission work is mission work among the poor in third world countries. But why? Is that a leftover of colonialism? 
In the Bible, we read that also the rich, also the healthy ones, also the smart ones, also the rich countries need missionaries. And I think it's not taking too long anymore that people from Africa come to Canada to preach the word and to be missionaries here. Why do we always send missionaries to poor countries? Why not to rich countries? You know, let's think about that. Because mission work is mission work among them unfamiliar with God, with Christ, with the Bible. And there is a great need in Canada. There are so many places that there is no truth. So many places where people are so far from God. We need missionaries also in our country. And in a way, we are all mission workers, right? Not only them, they're officially called. But let's go to the second thought, the schedule. Starting in verse 5. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, I don't know yet, yea, and went with you, that ye may bring me on my journey wheresoever I go, for I will not see you now by the way, but I trust and fare a while with you, if the Lord permit. So the Apostle Paul is conveying that his plans are to visit Corinth. At this time he is at, in Ephesus, but he does not know yet. He is wondering. He saying, if the Lord permits. So there's quite, quite something for missionaries to know where the Lord sends them, right? And where they must preach the word. But I will tell you at Ephesus until Pentecost. I know something very interesting. Verse 9. He says, I will stay in Ephesus in total that will be three years. And he gives a reason. Very interesting reason why he stays in Ephesus for so long. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. What does that mean? I understand the first part better than the last part. So the Apostle Paul says, I stay in Ephesus because the Lord is blessing my labor. The Lord is doing wonders. The Lord draws people out of the darkness. It is not in vain. I, I just feel the Lord is blessing my work. Because the great door and the factual is open. There's, there's an opportunity to speak to people. The Lord gives, 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 gives that, 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 that opportunity so clearly. And he, he sees it as it is an effectual and a great door. So he, has, he, he, he concludes from 
the blessings, and he concludes from the providence of God that he has to be there. In between brackets, I remember so well, more than 25 years ago, when I had the calling to come to Chilliwack, that this text spoke to me. For a great door and the factual is open unto me. So the Lord shows us so in his providence. He opens doors. And it's often an, an unrest in the spirit. That you feel you have, you have to go through the door. The door, the door is opening. As if the door is beckoning, come this way, this way, this way. So that's how I experience that. What a wonder when the Lord is still working and a great door and effectively is opened unto me. But then the last part, and there are many adversaries. So the Apostle Paul says, I stay in Ephesus because on the one hand I see my work is blessed. On the other side there are many adversaries. And I also have to stay for them. He doesn't say, well, there are many adversaries, I better go somewhere else. There's so much resistance and opposition, I'm leaving. He does not say, I go to a congregation that they all love me and all appreciate me and all adore me. He doesn't say, I go to a mission field where they're waiting for me and open the doors for me. No, also there are many adversaries. So in spite of the adversaries, the Lord yet can open doors. The Lord says, there are adversaries, there are problems, it won't be easy, but yet I also will open the doors and bless the labors. That's what it is here, Right? The Lord opens doors. So the Apostle Paul did not hear a voice from heaven, but to go. But he concluded it, and he felt in his heart, and the Lord spoke. Close to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from then, from thence into Macedonia. So when the Lord is opening doors, and also shows resistance, the Lord can give that no rest in the spirit. That's how I felt. I was in that time in the Dora Church in Holland. And I had that calling from children. I felt so much the need, the need of the congregation, the, the, the need of the young people. I had such an unrest in my spirit. I was standing on the pulpit in my previous congregation, and I felt I can't stay anymore. I have to leave. 
because a door is opened in many different ways. I won't elaborate on it now. Door opened. So there's only seed. For a great door and the factual is opened unto me. And the three realize that this means that the Lord is doing the work. That the Lord opens the hearts. That an extraordinary work is needed. That no minister can open the door himself. Brings to the third thought. Recommendations in love. Verse 10 through 20. Now if Timotheus comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. In the verses 10 through 20, it's remarkable, he mentions Seven names. He, meant, he mentions Timotheus and Apollos and Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla. So the Apostle Paul writes also to them and is asking for support for them. Asking the congregation to acknowledge them. To not despise them. To submit themselves. Those are the words used. To acknowledge, to submit, to not despise. See, he's recommending those people, those servants of the Lord, to their congregation. Let no man despise them. Conduct them forth in peace that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto me. And then in between those verses, he writes in verse 13, Watch ye stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Those are military terms. Watch ye. Be continually on your guard. In the the context of those people the Lord is using in the congregations, he says, watch you together with them, lest you be surprised by your enemies. Stand fast. Stand fast in the faith. Keep in in your ranks. Do not be disorderly. Be determined to keep your ranks unbroken. Keep close together. Quit yourselves like men. When you are attacked, do not flinch. Maintain your your ground. Resist. Press forward. So the Apostle Paul, in that piece, 10 through 20 or so, is encouraging the congregation to be united and to, and to, to, to work together. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. As he also has expressed that in Galatians 5, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. I have a question here. As a church, as a church congregation, are we a Sunday church? An only Sunday church? So on Sunday you see each other? And you nod, you say good morning, and you greet each other, and that's it. During the week, there's no connection. Are we a Sunday church? We should be a 24-7 church to always be connected and to have contact with, with, with each other and, and to care for one another. And that's what they see. They see those, those, all those names mentioned and the... Uh, encouragement for them and to stand fast and to watch together. It's about a type of togetherness. To salute the Lord. And it's quite interesting that the Paul often used the word in the Lord. How, what does it mean, you think? To salute you much in the Lord. To greet you in the Lord. It means in, in faith, in connection with the Lord. And I looked at that and I, I thought, how often is it, is it actually in the Bible? The expression, in the Lord. So I typed it in with a quotation mark, in the Lord, quotation mark, and there's press enter. You see a whole list in, in, in concordance of all those in the Lord expressions. In the Lord, that's, that's a very, that's a standing expression in the Bible. Very, very interesting and very important. Because all we do, we should do in the Lord. Thinking of him. Rely on him for his cause. Not just doing it in our own strength, not doing things for our own interest, but for him, in the Lord, in the Lord, to salute one in the Lord, to be together in the Lord. So let me show that from the Bible. A number of texts I love to mention with the in the Lord. And just wonder, when I quote those, those texts, wonder yourself, think, think about yourself, if you ever do things in the Lord. To salute someone, to greet someone. Even greeting someone in the Lord. And so during the week you see each other, uh, in church you see each other, and you greet each other in the Lord. If you don't greet someone in the Lord, then it's cold, right? In the Lord means I recognize you as a fellow member. Acts 14, verse 3, Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord. 
which gave testimony to the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So, boldly speaking in the Lord. That's, that's part of the congregation, to speak boldly in the Lord. On, on the pulpit, at house station, at catechism classes. But also you with one another, I hope. To speak boldly in the Lord. Or Romans 16, that you receive her in the Lord, as become a saint, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she has need of you, for she has been a succorer of many and of myself also. See, to receive people helping you in the Lord. Greet Amplias, my beloved, in the Lord. Salute Trafina and Trefosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And his mother and mine, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. It goes on and on and on, in the Lord. Because everything we do in the congregation should be done in the Lord, in connection, in faith, in dependence upon him. See that? And it's so spiritual. And that's how the Apostle Paul is ending 1 Corinthians. Explain to the congregation that you need that type of unity to do, to do all things in him, for him, through him. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my faithful, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord. Faithful in the Lord, labor in the Lord, salute in the Lord, testify in the Lord. For it is called in the Lord, being a servant is the Lord's free man. So it is called in the Lord. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work? In the Lord? Are you not my work? In the Lord. In all the building fitly framed together, grow it up as a holy temple in the Lord. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord. Children obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Older children, younger children, obey your parents. Why? Not because they are so perfect. Not because they are so deserving it. But in the Lord and for the Lord's sake. So to obey them in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, of course and of his might. 
Receive him therefore in the Lord. I beseech Iodias and beseech Santicha that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Same mind in the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. For the Lord's sake. See? So we dealt with the collections and we dealt with the second part of this chapter, the schedule where was going. He was staying in Ephesus for three years, right? And we talked about the recommendations and now finally the special greetings. All the brethren greet you, greet you one another with an holy kiss. It was their custom those days. They even men together kissed each other. Not on the lips, but on the cheek. As still happens so often in the Middle East. So a holy kiss. A God-fearing greeting. So that can still be the case. A handshake can be a holy handshake. You know, when I come to the pulpit, the whole consistency shakes hands with me. And that means something. It is very close to what the holy is, the holy handshake, meaning we pray for you, we support you, we are behind you. We are together in those things, together with the holy case. So, think about that. The salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. So the Apostle Paul had the clerk who was writing the epistle for him. He dictated him and said, just write this down. But then at the end, he said, now may I hold the pen? And then he wrote with his own handwriting, with his own, with his own, his own hand, he, he wrote the, the last couple sentences. So the salutation of me, Paul, with my own hand. And then before he ends, he comes with that important statement. Just, just before he closes. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Maranatha meaning, Lord Jesus, come. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. So let us spend the last 50 minutes on that verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, We all know that faith is important. True saving faith. And what is the true saving faith? It's the opposite of doing good works. It is by faith, not by works, right? 
whoso believeth in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. Believing is him that works not, but believeth in him that justifies the ungodly. So believing is having nothing, doing nothing, relying completely on him. Seeking salvation only in the other and thoroughly relying on that Savior. But now some people misinterpret that. They say believing is not feeling anything, just assuming. Just assume that you're saved. Just believe you're saved. Just tell yourself you're saved. Just impress it on your own heart and repeat to yourself and say, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. I have to believe. I have to believe that I'm the Lord Jesus Christ's child. That he has given his blood for me. I have to believe that. I assume that. That's not believing it. Believing is deeper than that. And believing is believing in love. A faith working by love. If love is missing in something, it doesn't mean much. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote about, wrote, wrote about the right in 1 Corinthians as well. That we are a tinkling symbol if there is no love there, no charity. So we speak of justifying faith and not of justifying love. Yet love is necessary, not as a prerequisite, not as something you earn with. It's not so that you must love the Lord first and then the Lord will save you. That love does not come from, from outside. But that love is yet a mark of grace. It's a mark, it's a characteristic of true faith. Imagine a faith without brokenness, without delight, without love. That faith cannot please God. Imagine an emotional faith, a hope, an expectation, but without love for the Lord Jesus. That's not right. Or think of deep impressions of God and Christ without loving him. But it happens, it happens that people are in tears reading a text in the Bible and believe they are saved and they have absolutely no idea of who the Lord Jesus is. They don't love him. You can't go to the Lord's Supper with that. You're not supposed to trust that you're saved then. Because if any man, it does not matter who you are and what you have, if any man loves not the Lord Jesus Christ, 
let him be anathema, let him be accursed. What I read here is that love for the Lord Jesus Christ in particular is essential for salvation. Without that love for him, your faith is nothing. As a metal sound, there might be a joy with no depth. Remember that parable of the seed falling into a thin layer of topsoil? And they received the word immediately with joy. There's no depth. There's no love there. Now, not all of God's children have a close walk with the Lord, but all know something of that love. The Lord Jesus has revealed himself to them. And they've seen him and adored him and treasured him and looked up to him and delighted him. They know of that highly esteeming of Jesus. Because that love includes desiring him, hungering after Christ, adoring him. We've never seen him. We never loved him. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and follow him. It's a mark of grace to follow the shepherd. Do you know that love? Do we love his voice? Love the born Savior? Love him as the prophet, as the king, as the high priest maybe? Could you tell what it is in Jesus that appeals to you? So why you say, you stay that you love the Lord Jesus? What is it for? He is, if he is rather unfamiliar to you, if you're, not, if you're not so close to him, if you have no relationship with him, don't fool yourself. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. So you do not only need God to speak to your heart, you need faith with love in the second person in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he needs to be precious to you. Let him be anathema. Let him be. So the Lord says, I agree with that. And the Lord Jesus says, I agree, I agree with that. And the Apostle Paul says, yes, let, let them be anathema. Why such a bold statement? Anathema. Well, that is because the Apostle Paul loves. He loves the people. And that's why he's so honest. That's why he's, that's why he's talking about hell. That's why, that's why he's talking about this perdition. He, he, he wants to warn the people. And says, at, at the end of my letter, I still have the feeling, I have to make clear that if you don't love the Lord Jesus that you are accursed. Oh, please don't deceive yourself. Oh, please think this through for yourself. Bring this up to the Lord. 
do, do you love him? Because it is possible that you have believed for a long time that you're a child of the Lord, and may, maybe you're not. Let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. What we know is that maybe everything is for you. Maybe the circumstances are, are okay and people love you and you feel right about things and you feel blessed in many ways. But if you don't have that faith and that love, you have nothing. And the other way around, if you may have this Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, whatever happens, nothing can separate you from that love of Christ. Anathema. That's... Um, Aramigurt gives a very, it's a very deep meaning. It is, it is final anathema. It's over. So the Lord Jesus Christ Himself experienced that, right? He Himself felt accursed. He himself was on the cross and heard that voice. And, and, we, and we hear his voice. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was, he was accursed himself. Felt accursed at least from his father. And therefore, through that, he can save people. And he will save people. So that they are not enough, but blessed. And welcome in heaven. So, congregation, we have the privilege of preaching unto you the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Lord Jesus Christ and Him cursed. Cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. He was the cursed one. Because of his curse, there's salvation. But please, don't deceive yourself. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, the, the, the curios, the king, the, possess, the, 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 the possessor, the ruler, Jesus, meaning his personal name, he will save his people from their sins, and Christ, the anointed one, the priest and king and prophet, if you don't love him, if you have no relationship with him, repent ye, repent ye. If you have deceived yourself, there's still time to see the Lord. It's, it's not too late yet. And today he is speaking to you. You'll be accursed if you don't love me. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, he says. So can you miss him? God's people love him. And yet, so often it happens to God's people 
that the Lord is knocking on the door and that they don't come quickly to the door to open it. And then finally they get out of bed and they open the door and he's gone. You, you remember, remember that, from, right, from the Song of Solomon. And then she's going through the streets and she wants to find him who loved her soul. And she finally finds him. And so God's people can also, according to their own feeling, lose the Savior again and not exercise their faith and be so, so, so slow and so lacking. And still they love the Lord. Because when the Lord leaves, see that they, they seek him again. And so sometimes the Lord knocks on the door again and just leaves, kind of, to let his people seek again and feel the urgency again. So people of God seek to become more familiar with him. He is ever faithful. He will not forsake the work of his own hands. He, uh, he experienced hellish agonies to save sinners, but with no love for the Lord Jesus, he is not yours. So Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus coming again. The Apostle Paul at the end of his letter says, you know the congregation, we are taught of many things, we should love one another, and you're accursed if you don't love him, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Love in Christ Jesus. So I not, not, he's not saying, I love you. He says, I love you in him, and in connection with him, because you belong to the living church. Maranatha, his tone, his melody is very serious, very loving, very serious. Because it's one or the other. Always blessed or always perishing. Amen.